Good morning. So good to be with you as we gather together to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Love for you to come back out tonight as we have what we call our Body Life Update, an opportunity to share what things are happening, where things are headed, things of that nature. And of course, the end of the evening will be devoted to uh, spending time together honoring John and Nick for 25 years. And I have been absolutely beyond blessed as a pastor to be able to work with John over the course of this time. I'll save my thoughts, though, um, what's to be shared from my heart uh, to them for this evening. But for now, what we're going to do is to open up our Bibles, as we always do and always will do. And we're going to turn now to Psalm 103. And this is a Psalm of David, as you will note in the superscription above. And it's an extraordinary Psalm that has been used to inspire various songs that have been sung in the course of worship services. I'd like to begin reading with verse 1 and take it down through verse, verse 14. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in with me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Let's look to our Lord in prayer. Father, it's always, always our privilege as a congregation to come into your presence, to be able to worship you, to express from song all the truths that you lay on our hearts, to offer you the tithes and the offerings we give to you through the church, not to the church, but to you through the church, for you to use in a way that will further your kingdom all for your glory. And now, Father, we open up our, our scriptures some will be using devices, others will have hard copy Bibles and hands, but 
we're interested in truth. Timeless truth applied in timely ways. Changeless truths for changing times. Allowing us, Father, to be able to have something to offer in terms of uh, the temporal demands that people continuously grapple with, or bringing fresh perspective, eternal perspectives into needy hearts, minds, and souls. Now, Father, as in the prior service, for all those watching online at this moment, whether it be uh, during this Sunday morning time period or in the days and weeks to come, we're asking that in one accord there's a sense of oneness. Holy Spirit guiding, directing, draw us to you. Do a great work, we pray. Warm these hearts, engage these minds, shape these wills. Come here now to see Jesus and him only. Praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. I was watching her carefully. Our plane had landed in Tel Aviv. And as we began to make our way from one portion of Israel to another, there she was, um, obviously in pain. Her husband had kind of hooked his arm around her arm. She had a crutch that she was leaning upon. We moved, of course, from one setting to another, but what really fascinated me was when we got to the place in Megiddo, the place where Armageddon is to be fought. We descended steps to go below the surface area, and she was going rather slowly, rather gingerly, and so at that moment I, I stepped forward and assisted, and her husband had one arm and I took the other, and we guided her down the rest of the steps. But she, she had just this extraordinary look of joy on her face. She was thrilled, absolutely thrilled to be there. This was the journey of a lifetime that they had they had, in essence, put their pennies aside for this, for this special moment. They were farmers from Western Canada. We sat with them over the course of a meal or two together. They shared a little bit about their life story. But wherever we went, it was obvious that she was, she was struggling physically, but she was not struggling spiritually. Eventually, we made our way to the Sea of Galilee, got on a boat. I was, I was just picturing the disciples at that moment, all that they were experiencing, for we were in the very, very same setting. At a particular moment, she was so utterly moved. She began to sing, and then others joined in, and still others. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass, and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. Bless the Lord. O oh, my soul, O oh, my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before. 
O my soul, I'll worship your holy name. That psalm and that song merge together. The song is from Matt Redman. This psalm, penned by through the Holy Spirit, placed upon David's mindset as these words now are being expressed to you and to me uh, this very moment. And what stands out right away is that though David might be in the latter years of his life, he's a man who, despite all the challenges, the difficulties, and the losses of life, and we've experienced losses, haven't we? He lost a child. There was a time where he felt like he might have lost experiences pertaining to the kingdom. Through it all, the highs and the lows, the ins and the outs, he would bless the Lord and say, Oh, my soul and all that is within me, bless his holy name. I want to join, I want us to join that friend, that, that woman on the boat, Sea of Galilee. We're going to make our voices within our hearts resound as we ponder these words together. Because I see three significant observations in this, in this wonderful psalm that has been set to various musical forms through the years that, that should speak to your heart, speak to my heart together. And the first comes out of verse 1 down to verse 5. That as you and I, as we consider how to bless the Lord, I want to begin by noting with you the personal challenge here I'm being issued. Notice how David begins. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He doesn't begin, O Lord, bless me. This is not a request being made to the Lord, but rather, this is a blessing being offered to the Lord. But furthermore, what I want you to notice at this point, it's almost as if the Lord is an audience here in the counseling room of David's soul. For you see, at this moment, what David is doing is that he's challenging his soul. He is now saying to his soul, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, when you and I begin to examine this word from the Middle East, uh, the word Barach, it's an offer of praise and thanksgiving to the Lord for who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. Now, you tie that together, and you see how encompassing this is, but what is absolutely extraordinary to me at this point is that here's a man who is in the heights, what it means to be able to consider and the years by which God has been at his side through the highs and the lows of life, which he has been for you as well. And yet he still sees the need to counsel his own soul. It's almost as if he's saying at this point, it does not come natural to bless the Lord. Therefore, I'm going to have to give my soul some counseling advice. 
even in these latter years, I'm going to have to teach my soul what it means to relate properly, appropriately to the Lord. Are you doing that? When you find yourself in a situation where you do not feel blessed by life, are you willing to bless the Lord despite the lack of feeling blessed by life? Now there is the test of maturity. When we are willing to bless the Lord, even though for some odd reason, due to our sinful nature, we do not necessarily at this moment feel blessed by the Lord. Here then is the situation at hand. David says to his soul, this is an internal counseling moment. Bless the Lord, L-O-R-D, capitalized, Yahweh. I want you to notice the totality with which he offers this challenge, issues this challenge into the inner recesses of his being. And all that is within me. It's as if he's checked out every room in the house of his heart to make absolutely certain that it is filled with the sense of the Lord's presence. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Feel the sense of the personal dynamic here? And then he adds this. Bless his holy name. As I watch my friend on that boat, new friend, this farming couple, and those that are watching and observing see how she lifts her voice and begins to sing. That's not necessarily the case with Job's wife, is it? Everything seemed to be going wrong, one loss after another. She challenged him to curse God and die. Notice the contrast between the curse and the blessing throughout the scriptures. Reading from Job, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the house, in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness, struck the four corners of the house, fell upon the young people, they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. What would be your reaction, particularly those that have experienced the losses that seem to mount in the course of life? This is what we are told. Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground and worshipped. Ani said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The test of maturity is that when we experience his loss in life, in the eyes of the average person, there's a lack of blessing being experienced. Nonetheless, we still offer blessing to the Lord, despite the experience. This is how we grow. This is how we mature. 
This is how we bring elasticity to the soul. To be able to take in still more and more of God's grace in our lives. You're up to verse 2, aren't you? And so now in verse 2, what David then would say to you and say to me, as we are listening into his counsel, once again, as in verse 1, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And we're, we're honored to be able to enter into listening into this counseling moment. But now he adds something more at this point. He then says something with regard to this tendency that the Jewish people have to forget. Now you see, I, my memory is what I use to forget things with. And David understands folks like me. And so he then says, forget not all his benefits. A physician said to the patient, if I've told you once, I've told you a hundred times, I do not treat amnesia cases. Well, no. For those that have some form of spiritual amnesia at this point, the great physician is whispering into the soul of David and the whole need to produce a sense of remembrance. You've probably heard of the story of the man who was visiting relatives on a farm and the farmer gave a whistle and well, his dog heard at the cattle into the corral and then latched the, latched the gate with his, with his paw. Well, that's some kind of dog. And the city dweller said, what's her name? Hmm. Well, the forgetful farmer thought for a moment and then said, well, what do you call that, that red flower that smells good and has thorns on the stem? And the relative said, a rose? The farmer said, ah, that's it. And then the farmer turned to his wife and said, hey, Rose, what do we call this dog? Now, what David is challenging his soul to do at this point is to not forget. Don't develop some form of spiritual amnesia when life gets hard and the losses seem to mount. Because the grace on the cross supersedes the temporal losses we experience in light of the eternal benefits that are still to come. You see? Benefits. So now look at what Dave does here. Not once, not twice, five times. What he does is to draw various benefits that he has been able to experience. And are we surprised? Of course not. When he begins with this in verse 3, who forgives all your iniquities. These are five what I will call items of grace. Benefits that flow from a life that is filled with grace. Corrie Ten Boom. Corrie Ten Boom, in her book, Tramp for the Lord, had these words to say regarding forgiveness that we're looking at here, where at the end of verse 2 and again at the start of verse 3, the word forgiveness here continues to stand out in this whole matter of the blessing. It was 1947. 
I'd come from Holland to defend to defeat Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth that they needed most to hear in the bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Well, because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins are, are thrown. When we confess our sins, I would say to the crowds, God cast them into the deepest ocean. Gone forever. And then God, well, he puts a sign out there that says, no fishing allowed. You see, one way to paralyze our souls is to go back and start fishing in old fishing places our old haunts, going into the past and bring things up that God has, in essence, forgiven. Now, if the sovereign, holy, righteous one has done that for you, shouldn't you do the same? Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life. And have you begun to notice something here? Is there a pattern? I want you to create a linkage between the who word and the you, your word. See how many times this unfolds. Who forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And people, unlike a a parrot or a canary that can find themselves in some cage, you don't cage an eagle. Eagles are meant to soar. I want you to soar. Be freed, saw, because what he has now done in verses 1 down through verse 5, but in particular 3 through 5, he has now offered you five benefits of grace that stand out. If someone knew about grace, John Newton would be the head of the pack. He, He penned amazing grace that great song that is sung again and again and again. Two years, maybe three before his death, when his sight was so dim that he was no longer able to read, a friend who loved Jesus as Lord and Savior called to have breakfast with him, brought others with him because they wanted Newton just pour his, his, the richness of his relationship with God into their lives. It's their custom to read the word of God following mealtime and then have Newton offer some remarks on a biblical passage and then pray. But that day, I'm reading from the biographer now, that day there was silence because the scriptural passage was, quote, by the grace of God I am what I am from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 10, 
We're told that finally, after several minutes of quietness, where everybody just pondered the significance of those words, Newton then spoke, quote, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I hope to be. I am not what I once was. But I can heartily join with the apostle and acknowledge that by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then after a pause, he said, let's pray. And so now you look at your life and you begin to ponder the significance of all that Corey Ten Boom would have said to you, no fishing allowed. And you couple that with a Newton who says, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I hope to be. I'm not what I once was. But by God's grace, I am what I am. And when you've put your faith and trust exclusively in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, you're right where you were meant to be, positioned in grace, experiencing the five benefits that have just been enumerated by the psalmist here in verses 3 through 5. But you're up with me now, aren't you, to the second significant observation that we use to counsel our souls. Not only the personal challenge being issued in 1 through 5 with the five extraordinary benefits that are stated in verses 3 through 5, coupling the you, your, with the who, the sovereign one above. But now notice with me, second of all, the steadfast love being described in verses 6 down through verse 19. And what I want you to see with me now is that because David has a way of repeating uh, important truths, what you're going to see is that he continuously emphasizes a Hebrew word, hesed, which means steadfast love, though our English language really falls short of the mark of being able to fully develop this, the depths, the richness, the breadth, the, the heights of, of what this love entails for you if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Even now, still in our sinful state, we're samplers of what this love is all about. But sample we will. Because beginning in verse, in verse 6, you and I are told the Lord works righteousness because we can't pull it off. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all, you see, who are oppressed. Now bear in mind there is not only a now but a not yet when it comes to the ways in which God goes about doing that. And sometimes we're going to have to wait for the not yet to, be, to come our way we're importing everything in terms of the not yet into the now. 
In verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses. And now he goes back to the stories of the wilderness and how God in his grace, his mercy, was willing to minister to those who were rebelling against him and creating the golden calf. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel, And then you underline this because it's taken from the Deuteronomy account. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Here's your chesed once again. And abounding in steadfast love. And now for the second time, what you and I see here in these verses is that, is that David just seems to be so overwhelmed by this Hesed, who in verse 4, he would be able to say, who crowns you with steadfast love, Hesed and mercy. And now here in verse 8, as he's moved from the personal dynamic to the historical example, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding steadfast love, and he would almost pause at that point, wanting his readership, particularly the Jewish people at this point, who understand their heritage to, if, if, if needed, go back into the wilderness, ponder the steadfast love, and sometimes you have to go into your wilderness and pull out the steadfast love. Apply it. God doesn't abandon you in the wilderness of life, you know. In St. Paul's Cathedral in London, there's this life-size marble statue of Christ on the cross. And the statue is subscribed in these words. This is how God loved the world. Well, David can't get over just how much God loves. Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Well, he picks it up for you. He picks it up for me now in verse, in verse 9 and into verse 10. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, or, nor repay us according to our iniquities, because he dealt with those sins, as you and I know, retrospective back at the cross of Jesus Christ. But now, don't you love what comes next? It's almost as if now what David is doing is he wants you to be able to have some sense of the immeasurable degree and amount of God's love for you. As now, he offers these metaphors. In verse 11, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, here is again, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. He uses an astronomical illustration metaphor at that point. But then he goes on from what I'll call the astronomical in verse 11 to the geographical in verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. He doesn't keep them attached, you see, like Velcro. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, there's this detachment of that, you see. And Dr. Chapman of the Moody Bible Institute of a prior era, 
He told the story of a university professor of mathematics who had come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And the man was evidently in the Bible class where Dr. Chapman was teaching on how God removes sins from us as far as the east is from the west. Dr. Chapman was on this very verse. But then Dr. Chapman, as he would be prone to do at times, he paused, turned, drew out the professor in the audience and said, um, Professor, this is a mathematical statement. Can you tell me how far this is? Well, instinctively, the man began to begin to do his calculations when suddenly he grasped the sweep of the statement, putting aside everything else, and then looked up, stood up, and said to the number of people present in that study, people, people, you simply cannot measure this. The distance is immeasurable. And that's where my sins have gone. For you see, this forgiveness from God is rooted in his grace. And this, people, he went on to say, is immeasurable grace. Don't try to measure immeasurable grace. Don't make God finite. God is infinite. And now what the psalmist does for you and does for me at this point is that he moves from the astronomical in verse 11 to the geographical in verse 12 to the parental in verse 13 as the father shows compassion to his children. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. It's as if he's at this point pondering the truths of Genesis. But what God also understands at this point is that because we're dust, he knows the capacity that we have to bear the weight of life. And if you're under a heavy load today, you have to bear this in mind. The God who knows our load limit graciously limits our load. He has a way of lifting you when the lift is needed. Job understood that and still blessed the Lord. Summarizing verses 14, rather 15, down to verse 19. He, recognizing he is nothing but dust in his composition, 14, and then goes on to say regarding the transitory nature of life, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, it's gone. And its place knows it no more, but what do you do with all that transitoriness of life? I want you to take truth and press it into the transitory. Truth is not transitory. But truth needs to be applied to the transitoriness of life. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. His righteousness to children's children 
to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom, mark this, rules over all. He's the global monarch. And having just gone through elections, he is the unelectable one. He reigns. And because he reigns, you and I find extraordinary comfort in the knowledge of the fact that no matter what it is that we are going through in life, he reigns. You know, there was in, in Syria, Damascus, a church that was known as a great church, a church of John the Baptist that was then taken over by Islam and turned into a mosque. Well, standing in the shadow of the dome of the tomb of um, Saladim and the Muslim conqueror, you can, you can still hear the Muslims calling the faithful of Islam to prayer. But if you and I were to inch closer and closer and closer to this one-time church facility, now a mosque, we realize the mosque is all but temporal. Because on one side of the mosque, where evidently there is this entrance into the ancient church, there are still to be seen, unobliterated by words taken from the Quran, some words carved into stone. Stone. And if you were to read them, you would gasp and take a new hope and courage because the words are simply, quote, thy kingdom, O Christ, is an everlasting kingdom, unquote. Damascus, Syria. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all, verse 19. Your third observation stands out very clearly here when you and I are pondering the significance of what this is all about. Notice thirdly the cosmic appeal being delivered. And now brilliant as this, as this writer is, he pulls together blessings at the start with the idea of blessing at the end. But notice while he began internally and he began personally, he ends externally and globally. Bless the Lord, O you his angels. Satan, are you listening in, you fallen angel? You mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. He's so word-based, isn't he? Like we attempt to be each and every worship service. But the blessing, the Barach from the Hebrew, continues. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. But now he comes full circle and ends as he began. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And once again, he wants you and he wants me to make it personal. If necessary, 
counsel the soul. Rise above the circumstances and see the sovereign one at work. Because my friend on the boat did. The sun comes up. It's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again, those who have lost their voice. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when this evening comes. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul. I'll worship your holy name. And David and Job and others like join in the chorus of bring praise to God, as do we. Let's stand together. And so we're thanking you now, Father, a wonderful day of being able to worship you, to explore the various ways in which we can offer blessing to you. You have been so gracious in your blessings upon us. I want to pray for anyone who has experienced loss in the past, a Job-type moment. May they find grace in this catalog of benefits. Minister to them. I pray for those that are experiencing the challenges and the difficulties of life in the present. Pour grace and minister upon them. Those that are looking ahead and anxious about what's coming down the road, to minister to them. And through it all, Father, I pray there's going to be a song in the soul that each and every one will bless the Lord, worship his holy name, and sing like never before, even for those who have temporarily lost their song. Reinstill it into their souls and worship your holy name. And for this, we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.